Good stuff, good stuff. How's everybody doing? So who's got big plans for Valentine's Day tomorrow? Wow. Wow, nobody, man. Wives, I'm sorry. We got a bunch of jerks in here, apparently. I don't know what's up with that. No, I just, how, many, how many of you don't celebrate Valentine's Day? How many? Okay, so how many of you celebrate Valentine's Day? All right, and then you don't have plans. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Well, you got some time to figure it out and work on it a little bit, right? And plan some things out. But uh, Valentine's Day, um, man, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting holiday, isn't it? So uh, it's a day where you're coerced and forced to love your spouse by... Uh, marketers. That's awesome. So we're going to have a lot of fun, a little personal revolt in our houses is we're going to uh, not have Valentine's Day uh, together. So we're not going to celebrate Valentine's Michelle and I. We're going to start a new tradition this year and uh, we're going to take out our children on Valentine's Day. And so she is going to show Brayden how to treat a lady and I'm going to spoil the mess out of Ryland so that no loser will ever be good enough for her until God puts the right one in her life, right? So that's my goal tomorrow. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. They don't know yet, so don't tell them, all right? Cody, do not tell Brayden. You hear me? All right, good stuff. Well, hey, we're going to continue in our Good News Sermon Series. I'm excited about tonight. I was joking a little bit earlier with our, in our leaders meeting uh, that tonight is the third week of this series, but it's the first night that we actually planned for. So uh, I'm super excited about that. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a couple of things, and, and the way it kind of fell, we decided to work it in together. But tonight is a night we're going to be kicking off with a Good News Series that I've been planning for it for a while and uh, talking through it, and so I'm super excited about this message. Um, and I'm super excited about just what this series is going to do for us. Each week, I've kind of, the past couple of weeks, thrown out a challenge just to really ask yourself the question, what is the good news? What is the gospel to you? Like, if somebody was to ask you in your workplace or on the street that isn't a believer, like if they were to come to you and say, why do you believe in Jesus? If they were to use the words, what is the good news or what is the gospel? or what does the Bible say about salvation? If they were to say something like that, what would your answer be? And I've been challenging you to ask yourself that question because it's an important question. It's a question that we should know the answer to. And unfortunately, it's a question that seemingly the church has not settled on an agreement of what it is. By and large, we have, but there's people that answer that question in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of things that are being taught that aren't truly the gospel. They're not truly the good news as Scripture tells us. And so we're going to be walking through that over the next couple of weeks so that we can see what it really means and have that really impact our lives because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's not something that we can encounter and come close to. It's not something that can invade our lives and then we just walk away unchanged. When we encounter the gospel, when we encounter Jesus Christ for who he is and we see the truth of the good news, it changes everything about who we are. It changes everything about the life that we live. It changes everything about a perspective on the world. It changes everything. I know for me, I can really relate to this. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad planted multiple churches, so I grew up a PK, so I was one of the worst kids that you could possibly imagine. Any PKs out there, you know what I'm talking about? But so if you're not, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that my kids aren't typical PKs. That's what I'm hoping. That's what we're, that's what we're trying for. Um, if they are, please tell me in all loving, good kindness, I want to know, right? Right? Is that good? You're all just staring at me like, yeah, I know Sarah. She'll tell me. All right. So 
I want to know, right? But I, so I grew up in a Christian home, and so I knew the church thing, and I knew the church gig. I remember one Easter, and some of it is, I've been told this story so many times that I remember it, and then some of it I do remember. I don't know if you, anybody that grew up in the 80s or you lived in the 80s, if you remember Gospel Bill. Did anybody remember Gospel Bill? It was an awesome little TV show that came on to the TV, usually on Sunday mornings. Willie George, he's the pastor at Church on the Move still now, one of the most creative, innovative churches in the country, doing awesome things out there in Oklahoma City. They've got an entire campgrounds now that's like this western theme campgrounds just because of his vision and because of his role in this character called Gospel Bill. And Gospel Bill would tell us about the gospel every single week in a kid-friendly way, and I'd watch Gospel Bill and eat some Cheerios or some Lucky Charms. Actually, I would never eat Lucky Charms because mom wouldn't let me. I'm a little bit bitter about that. But so we'd eat, you know, like shredded wheat or something like that, and then we would go to church. I remember one Easter, I was about five years old, and I was watching Gospel Bill, and Gospel Bill was telling the Easter story. And I remember, and I've been told, so maybe my memories are the stories that I've been told, but I remember in that moment just being saddened and broken and crying, seeing Jesus being killed and put in the tomb in a very kid-appropriate cartoonish way. And I remember in that moment just seeing that and just, man, just my heart breaking and Gospel Bill led me through the Gospel prayer. And afterwards, you know, I told my parents and we were all excited about it. And, 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 and from that moment on, I was a pretty good kid, at least in my eyes, right? I was a pretty good kid and lived a pretty good life and, and all that stuff until I was around 10 to 12 years old. I started to question some things and I started to wonder about some things. And then I remember when I was about 16 or 17 years old, I drifted really far from the church. In fact, I had turned my back on it, turned my back on the whole thing, thought it was just a waste of time. Because I was hurt, I was broken, I was upset, and I was sad. And the reality of it is now as I look back, is that moment as a five-year-old and that moment of a 17-year-old, I see a truth. That I truly didn't understand what the good news was. That what had moved me in a moment when I was five had moved to a place that shifted in my life to a story that I just accepted. I didn't really come into contact with and really encounter and submit my life to Jesus Christ in a way that changed me and that shaped me and that made me a believer and follower in Christ. I would not and I could not answer the question, what is the good news? What is the gospel? I could not answer that and did not know what it is the majority of my life. Going into Bible college, I would have probably not been able to give you a straight, clear answer of what it is. Not knowing what the good news was, it made a difference in me because I didn't accept or know the truth of Jesus Christ. So not believing and not knowing and not accepting that truth, it caused me to be in a place for a while where I thought I was okay and I thought I was good, but the truth of the matter is, is that as life got harder and as things got more difficult, as I had more questions, as I had more doubts, I walked away and I became hardened and I didn't care for the things of God. It absolutely matters. Many of us could grow up in the church and many of us grow up just kind of accepting things. God doesn't want us to accept the reality of his love. God doesn't want us to accept and to see that he's a God who loves us. He doesn't want us just to accept the story that Jesus came and died on the cross. He wants us to know it, to believe it, 
to have it change everything about us, to change the way we live, and to change every single detail of our lives. That's what he wants the good news to do. And that's what the good news should do as we come in contact with it. In Ephesians chapter 3, this is where we've been camping during the sermon series. In Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 10, it says that God has been working out his eternal plan through the church. To glorify, to proclaim, and to show his glory to the world through the church. This has been his eternal plan. And then it goes on to say that it's been accomplished through Christ. And so we've been talking about over the past couple weeks that God has a plan for you and he has a plan for the world. And it's not a plan that he wants hidden. It's not something that he's trying to keep from you. It's not something elusive that's out there where God's just like, Alex, I got a plan for you and I want you to know it and I want you to see it. And I'm going to do everything I can to make you look over here instead of where I want you to look. That's not who God is. He's got a plan. He's not one in the world to go and just like, man, what's God up to? What does God really care about? He wants the world to know. He wants the world to see his love and his mercy and his kindness. He wants us to see what his plan is. And because he wants us to see, through Jesus Christ, he's gathered and created his church, his body, for us to declare to the world who he is and to show his love to the world. And so he's got a plan that he wants us to see, and he's got a plan he wants us to know. And his plan's being made known through the church as we live together and as we believe in him. So this is what we're going to be talking about tonight. This is what we're going to dive into a little bit. We're going to talk tonight and just look at what the good news is and what scripture says of the good news. And then we're going to keep talking about that for the next several weeks. Is that good with everybody? All right, good. It's good with Terrence, so you all have to live with it now, all right? So as we go through and look at this, I know one of the questions as you talk about a sermon series like this and as we go into verses like this, if you're a, a, a theological just geek like me, you can love to get into the depth and the nuances of the, the Greek language, and you love reading commentaries and all that stuff. Man, this can be a fun and fascinating verse, and it is. I know also, too, that if you're kind of like, hey, I'm alive in the world, and yeah, I'm interested in that stuff, but what in the world does this have to do with me paying my bills? What does this have to do with all the things that I'm facing in my marriage? What does this have to do with the fact that I have about a D average son and I wish that he was better? I'm not talking about me. My son got all A's again. Woo. So, like, we go through and I, we got our problems. We got our circumstances. Like, how does this impact? How does this shape? How does this change my life? What does this verse really mean? Some of you are sitting there now and all you can think about is the fact, oh, shoot, Valentine's Day is tomorrow and I don't have anything planned and I just got called out for it. I just got the snake eyes for my wife and I got to figure out what I'm going to do. How does this impact my life? How does this change my Valentine situation tomorrow? And one of the things that I want us to see tonight, one of the things I want us to understand and get as we go through this sermon series is that, that through this verse and through all of Scripture, God is trying to open our eyes. He's trying to raise our understanding, raise our eyes to see what his plan is through the church. He wants us to see and to understand that God is present in this world, that he cares, that he's working in this world, and he wants us to see what he's doing, especially what he's doing through the church. And that matters because your issues, your things that you're dealing with, your bills that got to get paid, your car that needs to be replaced, all of those things that you're dealing with right now, your issues 
and our issues as a church, they're intertwined. They're intertwined, and they're intertwined because the solution to them both is one and the same. You and I working together, you and I doing life together, you and I gathered around Christ together as his church helps us to see God's plan in our own individual lives, and it helps us to see his plan in this world through his church. They're intertwined. So how does this impact your bills? Because if you understand what God's wanting to do in the church, what he's wanting to do through the church, you begin to see and understand what God's wanting to do in your life and what he's wanting to do through your life. So this is a big deal, and this matters. If his eternal plan has been to help us to know and to see and his glory be made known through the church, and that it's already been accomplished, we should know what it is. We should know the answers to these things. We should really solidify and figure these things out. And so last week, I hit on it a little bit, and I want to hit on it just briefly again, that there are many of us in our culture, not you because you're here tonight, so you can pat yourself on the back. You can look at your neighbor and give him a thumbs up and say, good job, he's not talking to me right now. But there's some of us in our culture, there's some of us that church is an optional thing, that church is something that we kind of can go to, that it's not necessarily an absolute detail that's necessary in our lives. If we like the sermon series or if we like who's going to be leading worship, then we'll go. If not, we can opt out if we feel like it. But church, it is God's plan. I say it all the time. It's his plan A. And we got to see and we got to understand that God is doing something in the church and through the church. That's not the building. That's you and I gathered. In Matthew, we can see this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that Christ said, I will build my church. Listen, church, what matters to God is the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we see that Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Because of the good news, the church is not irrelevant. The church is the very place where God has chosen to dwell. The church, it matters. Understanding God's plan for the church, which is you and me, understanding that, seeing that, and knowing that is pivotal to understanding and seeing what the good news is. God's eternal purpose centers on Christ and his church. And his eternal purpose is to sum up all things through Christ. Jesus is the centerpiece of everything. He's the centerpiece of everything. And through him and from him, God birthed the church. So tonight, to help us see that, I'm going to take a few moments and I'm going to preach through Genesis to Revelations. Are you good with that? You all just got super scared. You were waiting for that text to like, oh, I got to get up and go out. How awesome is it going to be? The next person's got to go to the bathroom or something like that. They're going to get up and they're going to feel, it's like, oh, everybody's watching me right now. All right, that's good. So as we look at the Old Testament, we can see that the Old Testament, it looks forward to Christ. All the way from Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, we can see that Scripture is about Jesus and God's plan through Jesus. We can see this in all of the different ways. The Bible, oftentimes, because of our misunderstanding of it, or because of our approach to it, or because it's something that sits on our coffee table, the Bible sometimes gets segmented 
into different things. Oh, well, this was about that, and this was about that. And we kind of go through, and like, I don't really understand that book. And, well, that book's not really PG-13, so I'm not going to read that one. And we kind of go through, and we segregate things out. And we split them up into 66 different books that are talking about 66 different things. The truth of the matter is, is that the Bible is one book talking about one thing, which is God's plan to redeem humankind through Jesus Christ. The Bible, all of it, it is a complete and cohesive declaration of God's eternal purposes. If you look in Genesis, and we look at Adam and Eve, I told you I was going to start in Genesis. You look at Adam and Eve. We can see there in the story of Adam and Eve, we can see God's plan unfolding to each and every one of us. Their story shows us the reality of the good news. See, each and every one of us tonight, sitting in these seats, Adam and Eve, we were created for mutual relationship with the creator of the universe. God wants to be engaged in relationship with you. God doesn't want just you to sit there and just exist in this world. He wants to be engaged in relationship with you. You know that God cares about the details of your life? God cares about each and every hair that is falling off of my head that will never come back. God cares about the things that you're facing. God cares about each and every one of us. God wants to talk to us and have conversations with us. God wants to have moments with us where we're just so caught up in his presence that we just know joy like we've never known it before. In the deepest of our pains, he wants to be there to bring us hope and assurance. You and I were created for relationship. We were created for relationship out of his love. God is so loving and he's so generous that out of his perfect love, he birthed us to be in relationship with him. He has so much love to give. He put us into this world and caused us to be into existence so that we could be in relationship with him. But here's the difference with us. Is it since that we were created to be in relationship with him and we were created with the free will that man and women, us, each and every one of us, we have this opportunity to choose disobedience. See, the angels, they exist in heaven, and the angels are there to do God's bidding, to do the things that God wants them to do. They're there to worship him, and they're there to do all of the duties of heaven and to encompass his throne and to glorify him constantly. That's what the angels do. That is there. They do not have the choice of free will. But you and I, we have this choice for disobedience. And so what this means is, and what this shows us is, we see in Adam and Eve that they were created for relationship, to be in God's presence, to have nothing withheld from them, to know his goodness and to see it at all times, to enjoy the best food that you could possibly enjoy, to walk around naked all the time. That is what God created them to do. God engaged them to be in relationship with him, to know no worry, to know no fear, to know no shame, to know no guilt, but just to be engaged in relationship with him. But we have the opportunity to choose disobedience, and here's the problem, is that we choose it every single time. Every single time we choose disobedience, every single time, God, who is creator, who made all things, 
God is the boss. God is in charge. God demands obedience. And we have chosen disobedience, and we choose it every single time. Their story is our story. Even in the slightest of ways, even in the moments that seem innocent, they seem just kind of, ah, that's not really a big deal. Even in the slightest ways, when each and every one of us, in our own hearts, we choose independence from God, that is sin. And that sin is an assault on his authority as the creator of the universe. And that's where we find ourselves. That's where we camp out. That's where we hang out. Is that when we're in God's presence, when we're acknowledging God, when we're even seeing God, that there's something in our heart that could always pull us away. That when we can be in the best of situations, enjoying the best of things, there's something that pulls us away. Where we are no longer caught up in the love of God, but we're caught up in the love of ourselves. That we become dependent upon our own independence instead of dependent upon God, His grace, and His faithfulness to be the creator of the universe. Each and every one of us, that is our bend. That's what we do. But here's the awesome thing. When we look at Adam and we look at Eve and we look at the story of them, even in the midst of their situation, even in the moment of walking in God's perfect garden and rejecting that and walking away from him, even in that moment, we see God speaking and we see God saying, I'm in control. I'm working my plan out. I've got things under control. Because we see Adam, Adam falling asleep. He's there, he's been working in the garden and he's been naming all the animals, and he's been naming all the fruits and vegetables. God, Adam, you know, God charged Adam to be in charge of all these things, and Adam's there doing all this different stuff, but yet he couldn't find that perfect helpmate. So God puts Adam to sleep, and as Adam is asleep, God pierces his side, and from Adam he pulls his rib and he creates the woman. And it's just the same as the church, that Jesus sacrificially laid himself down. His side was pierced so that you and I, from him and from his sacrifice, could be made whole and new. And just as Adam looked at Eve and he saw her and said, that is woe, man. As just as he was amazed and excited and, and captivated by her beauty, Jesus gave himself for the birth of the church. And in the moment of his death, and resurrection, Jesus received the church as his bridegroom. We can see in the story of Adam and Eve that God has always been at work, that he is doing everything he can to make sure that we are part of his body, that we are a part of what God is doing in this world. Look at Noah. I told you I was going to preach the Genesis through Revelations. Noah. We look at the story of Noah and we can see there God's grace, and we can see God's faithfulness. We again are reminded of the fact that Noah, the story of Noah shows us that God is a holy God whose wrath is fierce. I honestly think, maybe I'll be judged for this one day, who knows, but I blame my teenage years partly on my Sunday school teacher. Because I mean, think about it, right? When you're in children's church and they tell you the story of Noah, what do they do? It's all fun, right? Animals is kind of coming together, getting on the boat, everything's cool. 
Then there's rainbows, and it's awesome, and doves. Yay, end of story. Man, millions of people died. Those animals were all in one boat. That junk probably smelled horrible. Noah and his whole family probably suffered for a long... I mean, can you imagine what it was like? God's wrath is real, and it's fierce. When we ignore the fact that God is holy and God is creator and that he's in charge of all things, when we fail to recognize that God has a standard that he wants us to live to and that he has an expectation on us as creatures that he has created, when we fail to recognize that, when we say, I'm not going to submit to the things that you have, I'm going to walk away, I care more about my independence than my dependence on you. When we do that, we sin, and there's a consequence to that. But yet, in the story of Noah, we can still see that God is patient. I mean, you think about it, right? Noah, when God tells him to build an ark, he's like, a what? <laughs> right? God gives him the plan. If you don't understand the story of Noah, you can just watch the movie with Steve Carell, and he explains everything, so... But if you go through, that wasn't funny, huh? I thought that was funny. Okay, it's okay to laugh in church. You know that, right? It's okay. But you go through and you, you, know, you look at the story. I mean, Noah is trying to figure this thing out from the very beginning. He's building a boat and he's got to like carve this wood out of probably really rough tools, right? I mean, it's how it took him a while to build this boat. The entire time that he's building that boat, God was declaring to humankind, there's a chance. Stop what you're doing. Stop and turn to me. God is patient. God is kind. He is long-suffering. He is there to be our deliverer. He is there to help us. And just as Noah and his family, and just as the animals went into the ark, we can see in the same, that as we step into Christ, as we step into the church, as we step into God's plan with faith, that Jesus makes all things well, we see that God is the only one, that he is the only deliverance from our sin and from destruction. We see that God cares for us, that he is our hiding place, that he is our salvation, that he keeps us and that he protects us. We can see in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we can see that his word is true and his promises can be trusted. We can see that when God makes a covenant with man, when he declares that he's going to do something and that he's going to fulfill something, that God sticks to his word. We can see in Job and Joseph. That even if you think you're a good person, and even if you're doing good things, that even in those situations, and all the right things are happening, you got the million dollar smile, you got the good hair, the nice house, the perfect car, the right job, the perfect wife, everything's great, everything's good. Even in those moments that you still have to answer to God. You still have to acknowledge him as God and submit to him, and you still have to say, he's in control, I'm just dust. That's the way it's made. That's the way it's there. And that's an assault on our values. That's an assault on the way that we live in the world. He's in control of your life. He's in control of your destiny. And your circumstances do not define who you are in Christ. We can see this in their stories. And we can see all that God did in them. That even though their circumstances were still falling apart and they were miserable, Job and Joseph were questioning and wondering about everything that was happening, why they were going through. They remained faithful. They kept their eyes on God. And God did something through them and in them that they could have never dreamed of for themselves. 
God is doing the same thing and wants to do the same thing in your life. That when you believe in Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, it's not your circumstances that define his love for you. It's his love that defines his love for you. That nothing, nothing defines God. Nothing defines his power. Nothing defines his authority. Nothing defines his grace but him himself. And he is good and he is right and he's just in everything that he does. And it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we do. We all still have to answer to God. We look at Moses and we're reminded that we're just sojourners, that we're just here, that this isn't our permanent home, that no matter how long we live, if you live to be 86, if you live to be 110 because you drink two Dr. Peppers a day, there's a woman who just said that. If you like live in your life as long as you possibly can, it's going to come to an end. We're here temporarily, that there is an eternity, and in that eternity, there is a place that we can choose to be with God or we can choose to be apart from God. And it's our choice, it's our will to say, I want to be with God and submit to him or I want to choose my own self. We look at the burning bush and we see that moment where Moses, in his isolation, that moment where Moses is highest in his self-doubt, that moment where Moses is 80 years old, questioning everything that he's done. He's murdered a man, grew up in riches, and now he's living in a desert with people that aren't his own. Questioning everything. In that moment, he walks by a bush, and he sees this bush that is burning, but yet it is not being consumed. In that moment, Moses stops, and in faith, he approaches the bush. Each and every one of us can look in our situations that there's things that God is doing. There are moments that God puts a burning bush in our lives. He puts a moment in our situations where we can look to it and we can see that Jesus Christ has accomplished all things and that he's sustaining all things. And that when we come to him and wonder and we come to him and look and see that he is everything that we can need, that he is there to continually provide, that we can never exhaust all that he is, that we can never reach the ends of the depth of the knowledge and the goodness of who he is, that it will never burn out if we do not look at him and see that through Christ that anything can come against us, there can be any fire, there can be any persecution, but it does not destroy us when he's our protector. If we do not see those things and we choose to walk away and go back into the desert, then we will find ourselves apart from God, living our own lives. But when we stop, even in our doubt, even in our isolation, even in moments where we're not sure if we're good enough, even in the moments where we cannot see how God wants to work in our situation, in our circumstance, when we stop and say, Jesus has already done everything. God is speaking to me right now. Look at how wonderful he is. Look at how good he is. He's wanting to reveal if we stop in those moments and trust and see what he's doing, God begins to work his plan out in our lives and through our lives. I love in John chapter 5, verse 46, Jesus himself, he says, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. All of Scripture is declaring. We can look through Israel's story. We can go through and read all of the Psalms and the Proverbs. We can look at all of those. 
We can get into the New Testament and we look at the Gospels and we see that Jesus is God with us. We see all of his miracles, his life and his death and his resurrection. We see his ascent into heaven. We look at the rest of the New Testament and we see because people believed in him that the church was born and that the church has set the world on fire. That 12 people who believed, 11 people who stepped out and said, we want to do what God's called us to do. We want to give our lives to him and surrender to him. That they have literally changed the world and their belief through Jesus Christ. Then we get into Revelations. And you look at Revelations and you see that all of history will climax when he returns in power and glory. Everything from the very beginning, where Adam fell and Eve decided to walk away and disobey God, where Adam failed, where you and I fail, Jesus stands in victory. Where the world is falling apart and when things are gonna collapse and then this world comes to an end, because I can promise you this, it's gonna come to an end. In that moment, Jesus is gonna stand there in victory. All of Scripture speak to the same thing, and they all declare the same thing, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that God has always been God, he's always been in control, he's always had his plan, and his plan has been Jesus and the church, that he is focused on us coming to know him, and as we come together in faith in Jesus Christ to do the things that he's called us to do and to be a part of the things that he's setting out to do in this world, and in doing that, we don't know defeat, we don't know doubt, we don't know discouragement, but yet we know victory, we know strength, we know joy, we know peace, we know hope, because our God is righteous and he's God with us. Look all through scripture and we can see God is declaring. They're not independent books. I mean, how amazing is it? that this book was written over thousands of years by some 40 different authors, and they cohesively, independently, all structurally come together to declare the same story. When you read this book, don't read it as an isolated story of a bunch of different people. Read it as God's story declaring that he loves you, that he wants to redeem you, that he wants to be in relationship with you, that he wants to restore you, that he's in control, that he's powerful, that he's righteous, that he's holy, and that you and I, in our own choosings, we choose to walk away from him. But even still, God is merciful and God is loving. And when we trust in him and we look to him in our own lives and in this world, God will be victorious. In all of the New Testament, the Greek word that's used for victory is used 20 times. 17 of them are used in Revelations. Revelations can be a book that's hard to understand. It's something that can be confusing to us and not really make sense. Revelations was written in code to the church. John's writing, using metaphors and using symbolic things, believing that he's writing to a church that understands this whole book is about God's plan through Jesus Christ. That what seems confusing would make sense to the church because it's in this thing. From the very beginning, from day one, he set out and he had a plan. And that plan was, is that we would be in relationship with him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, it says this. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, 
we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. The worship team can come up. So we read in Ephesians chapter 3. It says that his plan was carried out. The language there is, it was an accomplished action. God set out to redeem us. God set out to create an opportunity for us to be in relationship with him. And his plan has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. What we have to understand and what we have to see is, is that you and I, we were born as enemies to God's plan. And as a result of that, he sent Christ into the world to live the life that you and I cannot live, to die the death that you and I deserve so that we can have the life that is promised in him. God is a righteous God and he's a holy God. He's a loving God and he's a merciful God. He's so loving and he's so rich. He's so powerful and he's so caring that his love birthed the creation of humankind so that we could be in relationship with him and know the depth of his beauty, to know the magnitude of his power, to see his glory and to be in relationship with him, to walk with him, to do life with him, to be dependent upon him for every breath, to be longing for him for every answer and every solution, to be looking to him, not in bondage, not being kept in the dark, not being kept in a way where we don't know all things, but so that we could truly know freedom, but so that we could truly know what it is to know life. The life that God planned for us, that God wanted for us. He has a plan, and his plan's being worked out. It's being worked out through the church as you and I live together and we believe in him. He's been working it out since the beginning. He's been working out all things since the beginning. It's on you and I to stop and to realize that God's plan is centered. God's plan is centered on Christ and everything he's doing. God's plan is centered on Jesus being known in my life and in your life and in being declared in life of this church. Psalms 24. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean's depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. If you will, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment of self-reflection. If there's been a moment in your life where you've seen Jesus standing, You've heard him speaking. You've heard him calling. You've heard him pulling on your heart. I remember when I was five, and I remember the emotional moments. I remember being shook into my core. 
that someone would die for me. It didn't impact me because I never submitted to him until I was 19 years old. Hearing a sermon from a guy that I really didn't want to hear a sermon from, probably like, like you tonight. Sitting there, questioning why I was even at church on a Sunday night instead of hanging out with my friends. And in that moment, sitting in that pew, the same color of the chairs that you're sitting in right now, I remember that the God of the universe reached out and he spoke to me and I heard him and I saw him. And he changed me in that moment when I said, be the Lord of my life. I'm not perfect. I've made a ton of mistakes. I made a ton of mistakes the very next day. But I can tell you this, that moment, I was a different person. Literally everything changed. And since that day, and every way that I can, I've been saying, God, I submit to you. God, I want only what you want. God, I only want to go where you want to go. God, I want to only think what you want to think. God, my heart, my heart longs for things that are against you and apart from you. God, change me. Make me new. Every day. If that's where you are, if you're not perfect, but that's the cry of your heart. Hear and remember this. God is at work. God has a plan that you, through Christ Jesus, you are His and He is yours. All that Jesus accomplished on the cross, all that is promised to Jesus, it is yours. And it's accomplished and it's finished. You have every reason to stand in victory. You have every reason to stand in confidence. You have every reason to come to God's throne in boldness because Jesus has made you whole. But in your life, if you can look at a moment and you say, you know what? On a regular basis, on a daily basis, I'd rather choose independence. I would rather choose what's right for me. I'm not so interested in what God expects of me and God wants of me. I think God's standards are a little too high. I think God can be a jerk sometimes. If you can't see that God is merciful and loving and that even in his demand of obedience has made a way for you to obey and for you to live for him, if you can't see that he's merciful and graceful and loving and kind, if you haven't seen that and as a result submitted your life to him, tonight will you say, Jesus, be Lord of my life? Tonight will you call out? Tonight will you say, you're the maker of all things. You're the creator of heaven and earth. Who am I? Tonight, will you say, I submit my life to you and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm gonna do something different tonight. We don't do it very often. We'll talk about it in Discovering City Life if you're curious. But tonight, if that's you, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else, but tonight, if that's you, in a statement of faith and a declaration of saying, I mean this, and I hear God speaking to me tonight. If you need to surrender your heart to Christ and make him Lord of your life, will you raise your hand and say, Pastor Jamie, that's me? Tonight, I want to give my life to him. I want to submit my life to him. Is there anybody in here tonight that says, that's me? Awesome. Look at me, church. Look at me, church. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And we're going to sing that he's a good father, right? That's what we're going to sing, right? Okay. We're going to sing that he's a good father. Hey, as we stand to sing this, will 
you make it a declaration of your heart, in eternities past, when his spirit was hovering over darkness, he was thinking of you. He was planning for you. He was working for you. In eternity, he's saying, I want to be with you. Man, that's good news. That even though we do everything we can to push him away, he's done everything and gave everything so that we could be with him. Will you stand and worship with me?